ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Turn your Bibles, if you will, Revelation chapter 7. We'll begin reading at verse 1. We'll go to verse 4. Today we look at the mystery of the 144,000. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. See, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed in 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. In Revelation chapter 6, we were witnesses to a world under a storm of divine judgment. The Lord Jesus took possession of the title deed to this planet in chapter 5. He began opening the seals, the seven seals, which are on this title deed. He's beginning the process of redeeming this planet out of the hands of sin, sinners, and Satan. We watched Jesus open six of the seven seals on this scroll. Now before he did, there was a great peal of thunder in heaven in Revelation 6 and verse 1. And thus thunder signaled the approaching storm of God's divine wrath. In every seal that was open, judgment and wrath began to be poured out upon the earth. I want to remind you that we have not seen the worst suffering and sorrow that is coming upon this world. After the seven sealed judgments, there are seven trumpet judgments that will sound and seven vile judgments that will be poured out upon this earth. Before that happens, we're confronted with a divine parenthesis. Chapter 7 is what we call a parenthetical passage that represents a pause in God's plan to judge the earth. The first part of the storm has passed. The worst part lies unseen in the future. Two groups of people are in view in Revelation 7. The first group is identified as the 144,000 in verses 1 through 8. The second group is identified as the redeemed multitude in verses 9 through 17. Now today we consider the 144,000, Lord willing, in the future we'll look at the redeemed multitude. In verses 1 through 3, I would show you a deliberate pause. 
God calls for a momentary peace to fall upon the earth because he has some divine business to transact. As God's wrath is rained down upon the earth, he pauses to answer a prayer that was prayed many centuries ago by the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 3 in verse 2. By the way, this chapter is a great encouragement. Even during a time when suffering and death and wrath will reign supreme, God will still be extending grace and saving souls for his glory. This has always been the Lord's method of operation. He remembered mercy and wrath when the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorpost of the houses in Egypt in Exodus chapter 12. He remembered mercy and wrath when he delivered Lot from Sodom, Genesis 19. He remembered mercy and wrath when he saved Noah and his family from the flood, Genesis 6. We're also told that four angels stand on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Now some questions immediately arise in our mind as we read these verses. One, who are these angels? Well, from verse 2, it is clear that these angels have been given the power to execute God's judgment upon the earth. The word hurt here carries the idea, injury without mercy. It is a picture of absolute destruction. These are avenging, judging angels. Second question may come up, what are they doing? They are holding back the four winds of the earth. When these angels appear, there will not be as much as a breeze blowing anywhere on earth. There will not be a cold wind racing across the snow-capped peaks of Everest. There will be no winds blowing their scorching breath across the burning deserts of the world. There will be no ill winds or cool, pleasant breezes anywhere. The winds will cease for a time. This is an awesome display of divine power. The winds that race through the atmosphere of this world are driven tremendously by strong forces like the sun and the rotation of the earth. Yet four angels are able to restrain the winds. The word holding here translates a strong word. It was used to speak of horses straining against their bits. These winds are struggling to break free from the hold of the angels. Third question that might arise is, what is meant by the winds? The word winds here should be taken literally. As I mentioned, there will be no winds blowing upon the earth. However, there is a sense in which the Bible uses wind in a spiritual sense. Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7 says, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. These angels are holding back the wind of divine judgment from off the earth as well. There's a lull in the storm as God takes care of his servants. God harnesses the wind of his divine judgment that they should not blow for a season. Perhaps a fourth question would arise. What is meant by the four corners of the earth? 
Does this mean that God thinks the earth is flat? Of course not. He answered that in Isaiah 40 and verse 22. This is an idiomatic expression that refers to the four points of the compass. It's merely a figure of speech. The ancient Jews superstitiously believed that winds would blew out of the north, south, east, and west were favorable or good winds. They also believed that winds which came from between these directions, hence from the four corners of the earth, were ill-favored winds. These winds could certainly be described as ill-favored winds. Fifth question may arise is what is the significance of number four? The book of Revelation uses numbers quite a bit. Often these numbers have spiritual meaning attached to them. For instance, the number seven is the number of divine completion. There are seven days in a week and seven colors in the spectrum. Revelation identifies seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bold judgments or vile judgments, seven horns, etc., Four, on the other hand, is the number of the earth. There are four seasons. There are four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. There are four directions, etc. Now, here four angels hold four winds at the four corners of the earth. This number lets us know that we're dealing with events that are transpiring upon the earth. This is a time of earthly judgment. I would also show you in verses 2 and 3, not only a deliberate pause, but we have a divine personality. As John watches, a fifth angel appears on the earth, and this angel arises from the east like the morning sun. Some taking this to mean that this angel is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the word another translates the Greek word alos, and it tells us that this angel is just that, an angel. Now, we may not know who he is, but we do know that he has tremendous and awesome power. He comes commanding the first four angels to refrain from their mission of destruction upon the earth. This angel has come to seal the servants of God in their foreheads. By the way, if you don't know it by now, Satan is an imitator. Throughout this book, he is seen attempting to duplicate many of the things God has done and is doing, and we'll see him place his mark on his servants in Revelation 13 when we get there. He'll give them the mark of the beast, and this mark will identify them as his servants. In this passage, we're going to see the Lord God has actually seals his people. Satan has always marked his people. God seals his children. The word seal refers to an official stamp. Brings to mind the signet rings that were used by kings to mark documents as official. A piece of wax would be placed on the document and the king's signet ring pressed into it. The seal signified possession, protection, and, and preservation. That's seen several times in the word of God. Genesis 41, 42, 
Esther 3 and verse 10, Daniel 6 and verse 17. In the Bible, there are several instances of God sealing his people. And Genesis chapter 7 and verse 16, Noah and his family were sealed up in the ark. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 18, Rahab was sealed by a scarlet thread hanging from her window. The children of Israel were sealed by the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and lintels of their home, Exodus 12 and 13. The clearest example of this is in Ezekiel 9, 3 through 6. Just as God sealed his servants in Ezekiel's day and protected them, he will do the same for his servants during this tribulation period. And while we're on the subject, let me just remind you that if you're saved today, you're born again, you too have been sealed by our Lord. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, in whom also you trusted, after that you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. When you were saved, an invisible mark was placed upon you. No one can see it, but it's there. God sealed you at that instant. And that's exactly what makes you his own. Now, what does that mean? Well, you have a seal of possession. God places his seal upon you in your life, and he marks you as his very own possession. It is also a seal of protection. Since we're his, we can expect him to protect us from the attacks of the enemy. The Bible says that we're kept by the power of God. The word kept means garrison. The Lord has set an eternal guard around our souls, and we're sealed, and we're safe in him. It's a seal of preservation. The Bible says that we're sealed until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. So we are a sealed people, sealed by God. We're safe in him until the day we go home to be with him in glory. Thirdly, I'd point out to you in verses 4 through 8, a distinct people. Now, we're introduced to the people that the angel has come to seal. He calls them the servants of our God. The word servants here is the word for slaves. These people are saved, they're sealed, they're sold out, servants of Jesus Christ. But who are they and what do they do? Well, the Bible is very clear as to where these people come from. They are from all the tribes of the children of Israel. Over the years, many groups have tried to claim that they're part of the 144,000, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Worldwide Church of God, the Seventh-day Adventist, among others, have all tried to make that claim. Well, if anyone ever comes up to you claiming to be part of the 144,000, just ask him which tribe they're from. That usually put them on the run. Others have said that these 144,000 represent the church. The text is clear here. These 144,000 are Jewish men called and saved out of the tribes of Israel. This brings to mind a few questions that need to be answered concerning these Jewish men. Why are there exactly 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes? 12 in the Bible is a number associated with Israel. There are 12 tribes in Israel. There were 12 loaves of bread on the table of showbread in the tabernacle. 
There were 12 gates into the city of Jerusalem. There were 12 stones in the breastplate of the high priest. And the Lord is showing us that these men are from the nation of Israel. This teaches us a valuable lesson. God is not finished with Israel. He has a plan for their future restoration and redemption. You don't believe me? Read Romans chapter 9 through 11. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. Now, why are some of the tribes not mentioned? The tribes of Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned, while the tribe of Levi, which did not receive an inheritance among the other tribes, is mentioned. You'll also notice that the tribe of Joseph is mentioned. Now, back in Genesis 48, Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, were adopted by Jacob and given an inheritance in Israel. It appears that Dan and Ephraim are not mentioned here because they went away into deep idolatry during the kingdom years. Therefore, they're left out of the list. At least that's my opinion. I'm not going to argue anyone or be dogmatic about, but that's the only explanation I can actually come up with. Another question would be, how and when will these 144,000 be saved? Well, I believe they're going to be saved by the preaching of the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation 11, uh, verses 1 through 12. God's going to send two preachers to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. These 144,000 will be converted. They're going to be sealed to do a special ministry by the Lord. What makes them so special? Well, the answer to that question is found in Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. And there we learn that these men are sexually pure. They're virgins. They've never been married, never been with a, a woman. We're also told that they're completely dedicated to the Lamb of God. They follow him wherever he goes. They do his bidding without question. They're also called the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And they are the first of a vast multitude that will be saved during this dark, dangerous, deadly time of the tribulation. Now, another thing that marks them as special is that God knows who they are. There's only one Jew in the entire universe who knows which tribe he is from. There's only one Jew who still possesses an accurate genealogy of his ancestry. And my friend, that person's name is Jesus Christ. He is from the tribe of Judah, Matthew chapter 1. No other Jew knows which tribe he is from because all the genealogical records were destroyed in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman general, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. The birth records were stored there and they were destroyed forever. And now no Jew may know which tribe he is exactly from, but God knows exactly what tribe they're from. He knows how to find them, he knows how to save them, and he knows how to use them. Now that we have a little more information regarding these men, let's look at what their mission will be during the tribulation. Now back in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, the Bible says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Despite 2,000 years of evangelism and mission work, this verse has never been fulfilled. There are hundreds of millions of people in our world who have never heard the name of Christ, much less the gospel of grace. 
There are places in our world where missionaries cannot go. During the tribulation, all of that will change. The Lord will raise up an army of 144,000 converted Jewish evangelists who will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They're going to fulfill this prophecy. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. The Antichrist will try to stop them, but he will be completely powerless to hinder their ministry. He will not be able to silence them, kill them, or stop them. They have been sealed by God, and they will be protected until their ministry has been fulfilled. Have you ever met a converted Jew? When a Jew comes to faith in Christ, you have never seen anyone with as much zeal for souls as a born-again Jew. Now, for all intents and purposes, the church has failed in her efforts to reach the world. We've spent trillions of dollars, and still the world is filled with unconverted and unreached people. We live in a day of global communications, and we still have not been able to take the gospel to all people in the world. God help us. We won't even take the gospel to our own city. That will all change during the tribulation. You might not imagine it, but the tribulation will see the greatest evangelistic effort the world has ever witnessed. These 144,000 redeemed Jewish preachers will take the gospel to the entire world and a vast multitude will be saved as a result. I'm glad the Lord is going to redeem millions during the tribulation. Still, I want us to do more today. Now, in closing, the 144,000 still can be a mystery to the Bible student today. We're going to study them more in depth when we get in chapter 14. But for now, we should take a moment, thank God for his grace. Now we should take a moment and thank God for everything he's given to us. We should praise him for his great plan to save many people during the most horrible time that this earth will ever know. And we should thank him for sealing us, his sealing ministry in our lives. What a blessing it is to know that we've been sealed unto the day of redemption and that we're safe and that we're secure in the Lord Jesus. We should also look at our efforts to share the gospel in these days. Now, I don't know about you, but I can very easily think, and I'm very much ashamed of our work myself. I'm, I'm, I'm very much ashamed of myself. We could do much a better job of getting the gospel out. We all could. So here's the invitation. If you would like to praise the Lord for his grace in your life and for the seal that he's placed on you, do that. If you would like to ask him to help you to be a better witness for the glory of God, do that now. If you would like to be saved so that you can miss the tribulation completely, you can do that right now. How? You come to the Lord Jesus and you follow the Bible pattern for salvation. You have to realize that we all have sinned. The Bible says that we all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3 and verse 10. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and come short of his glory. Romans 3 and verse 23. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And friend, that's not physical death. 
That is spiritual death. That is total separation from God. This world has never been apart from God totally. Even the lost, they do not have God in their life, but they are benefactors of the creator and the savior of mankind because they live in this world. God's extended mercy to them. They're benefactors of his grace. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is coming a day that God will pay the wage of sin. And the Bible says that wage is death, total separation from God. And the Bible states in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, that he literally will judge them and he will hurl them into the lake of fire. Now listen, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is the way you come to Jesus Christ. You come to him, you believe in him, and you ask him to forgive you of your sin. And my friend, the Bible declares that Jesus Christ will save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts chapter 16 and verse 30. Will you come to Christ today? Will you consider him? Will you come to Jesus Christ? and be saved. You can today. You can be free. You can be forgiven. And you can be on your way to glory, avoiding tribulation, avoiding the wrath to come, avoiding hell on earth, and avoiding the lake of fire. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org. And let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you and we trust you have a great day in the Lord. 